Hello and welcome to the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans. I'm Sam Homewood. And I'm David May. And we're at Pride Park. We are at Pride Park. Lovely little viewing area here. Oh, it's a wonderful studio, it no is, doubt about it? it. Yeah. Rolled out the red carpets for us. It's a black carpet, isn't it? I know. I just mean because it's such a nice <laughs> yeah, position on yeah. the ground. How are we all? Good, yeah. All good. Good week? Yeah. Had a little um, street party on Sunday. That was nice. How, how, you, how have you been? You've been in Madrid? Yeah, I went to Madrid. I've not seen any of the coronation. Didn't have a street party. I was out of the country. I went to a wedding. Uh, so I spent five days in Madrid and it was really nice. Good. Had a very pleasant time. How Good. about you, Helen? Yes, I've been fine. Thank you. Yeah. Busy, I, s- I assume, because you were late, which is why we're recording no, this. No, 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 no. After. Eric's left. Well, I haven't been busy. I just, there was traffic on the motorway. Mm-hmm. So I had to take a detour. I did arrive on time. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, he was... Everybody. No, you didn't. Actually. Yeah, I didn't. You arrived yeah. about quarter, quarter no, 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 to three. No, 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 I was in mm. that car park at half past two. Anyway. Was was late anyway half half yeah, I know, but I... <laughs> anyway, I'm never anyway, usually late. My anyway, I'm here, I'm here. Shush. What were <laughs> we here for? Well, for Eric. Right. And my favourite bit in the podcast is when he was talking about how amazed he was the football players were never late. Nobody was ever late. I know. And he was referencing Johnny is in the room as he is right now. Never late. Helen, on the other hand. First time. Yeah, Johnny's on his way back from Leicester training and uh, thought he'd come in and see his wife, do a podcast. We had another hour, could do one with him, but, you know. (laughs) Things to do. Things to do, places to go, people to see. But anyway. So basically, we didn't have time to record this little intro before the podcast because I was uh, running a little bit late. So we're doing it now. And yes, during the podcast, Johnny entered the building. Here's Johnny. He, he was on his way way up from Leicester, so he popped in too. Yeah. So nice and cosy in here. Maisie, do you know Eric? Did you know him before Which today? One? No. Obviously seen him many, many times at Old Trafford. Warm to keep us up, but that would be as far as it would go. But obviously he was very successful under Sir Alex. Great career. And also a fantastic goalkeeping coach. So yeah, I'm sure he's got some great stories. And also obviously he's had his own career. I'm quite looking forward to finding out but I don't really know a lot about goalkeeping coaching. Like, just catch it, I guess. Like, there's got to be more to it. Sam, I don't really know what that is. No, kick it. Not catch it. Well, both, I guess. You're kicking it to the goalkeeper. You're not catching it. The goalkeeper's no, I mean, catching it. I mean, the coaching. Like, whoever, your, oh, right, whoever okay. your goalkeeper is, catch it. I think this is why you was no good at football. Because you have absolutely zero knowledge of football, of what any footballer does. Well, that's, what, that's why I'm learning. That's what yeah, I'm here for. I know. Every day's I know. a school day. Yeah. Every yeah. day's a learning day with Sam. <laughs> Every day is a school day and here to teach all of us is Eric Steele. Eric Steele, welcome to the United Podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to see everybody. It's wonderful to see you. Usually we would start this by being, well, by saying something like, welcome to Old Trafford or here we are at Carrington. But we're with you. This is your place of work, right? Yeah, this is my um, this is my world, yeah. which has been. I've moved to Derby as a player in 1984 and I've never left the area. So here we are, Derby County, the Pride Park Stadium, which looks unbelievable, a 25-year-old. So yeah, it was nice to welcome you all here. I provided the water, that's about it. Maisie's, <laughs> brought, Maisie's brought the donuts. Donuts, yeah, for Helen's birthday, celebrating us 30-something. Yeah. Keep that quiet. <laughs> Early 30s. Early 30s, yeah, yes, yes. It's been 10 years since you worked at Manchester United, and obviously that will be the bulk of this podcast, because it's a United podcast, it'd be weird to talk about anything other than that but we want to know about you and your career and where you started so how did football become your life um there'll be a few names crop up here that you'll know i'm a geordie born and bred proud of it i was brought up with wallsend boys club so there's a lot of great man united players have come from there 
I think all told now, they've been going 52 years, 95 pros have gone from Wolves End Boys Club into the game. Wow. Beardsley, Shearer, Michael Carrick, Steve Bruce. Yeah, we were talking to yeah. Bruce about it recently and he was yeah. saying because the scouting networks and academies have advanced, it's obviously maybe not quite the same as it was, but it's still going. And oh, We'll have to check there. the stats. Yeah. He gave us a few stats as well, so I'm not sure whether they're both aligned. I would check them. <laughs> but he spoke very <laughs> highly as well. It was a, a, a breeding ground for young players. Newcastle at the time just didn't give players a chance. You look how many of us have actually left the area. I left like Brucey did. Brucey went to Gillingham, Norwich. Shearer left, Southampton. Michael left, Michael Carrick. Mm -hmm. Beardsley did the same. But then some of them went back and had great careers. Um, but it wasn't just that. It was what it gave you, the discipline. Yeah. You know, the boys club was all about you'd train two nights a week and we just had this indoor area. But you'd get there at half six. But you could play table tennis or pool, whatever. And if you're 30 seconds late, you never got on. No, oh yeah, you're late. You had to learn. You're not here for 6.30, you don't get on there. And if you're late for training, you don't you don't train either. So there was a lot of good discipline on and off the field. Peter Kirtley was the guy that really was behind and he's mm -hmm. found all these players. So yeah, I was lucky enough to do that. Played for my country when I was 18, did my A-levels. And I was, gonna, I was actually gonna go not far from here, Loughborough, and be a PE teacher. I'd, I'd been involved in so many sports and then Maze, you'll remember it. People come along at 18 and go, you fancy earning £35 a week and we'll give you a £1,000 loyalty bonus at Newcastle? I went, and I've been playing there for the reserves. You play for the reserves at Newcastle in them days, we're like 10,000. Yeah. You'd play against Man City, there'd be Colin Bell and mm -hmm. Franny Lee coming back from injury. So it was an unbelievable experience. But in the end, I signed and then um, I left because I wasn't going to get first team opportunities. And I went to Peterborough with an ex again, Man United player, Noel Campbell was the manager. Unbelievable experience. Uh, had three, four years there. Brighton with Alan Mulry, who Maisie probably might have played against. Watford, Graham Taylor was the manager, promotion. Then I came here, Arthur Cox, promotion again, two years. We went third to first. And then I retired. I retired in 88 and became a coach. Right, Eric, that's yeah. been a brilliant <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. That's, that's all you need, isn't Thanks it? Thanks a lot. Job um, done. Join <laughs> us next time on the next podcast and... Uh, Get the donuts out now. Get the donuts out now, yeah. Brilliant, Eric. Right, so... <laughs> I love that. I Let's absolutely love that. It's a great start, to be memory. fair. Played for your country at yes. 18. Yep. Gets back on track. Yeah. Uh, what was the situation there? What happened? How did you find out who well, was then in it charge? Was, and... Then it was schoolboy. It wasn't like now where they played. Yeah, me, they play that many tournaments. When I worked with the FA, you know, you'd play the under-19 championships to be qualifiers, pre-qualifiers, whatever. Then it was just literally you played. And we should have played at Wembley. Should have played Scotland at Wembley. So I got two caps. You played Scotland, you played Wales. You went through a trial system and we unfortunately picked the year when they had the Horse of the Year show on Wembley Stadium the week before. Oh. We played Scotland at Turf Moor instead, which took a little bit of the edge off. I'm looking forward mm. to yeah. We still beat Scotland 5-2, but yeah. At least we... you've been to Wembley plenty yeah. of times since. Yeah, I've got my cap fair. and I'm proud of it. Yeah, Absolutely. I didn't go any further, but you know, you, you can all say I represented my country, which, yeah, I was who, proud. Who would have been the goalkeeper, the first team coach? Oh, sorry, the first team keeper you would have been in that year? Do you know, I can't even remember. What year would that have been? That would have been 72. The first team goalkeeper yeah, you mean? Yeah, for England, yeah. First team but, then, or, 72. Or you would have been going against... Would have been against... Shilton yet? No, no. Because you was 18. No, I mean, before that, that yeah. would have been... That would have been, well, Banksy was my hero. Banksy would have still been playing, wouldn't he? That's what I was trying to work out. Would he have stopped or would he have been, still been going? Yeah. He was my hero. Did you ever play against him, mate? No. Jesus what a man. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. 
Yeah, might have done it five aside somewhere, but no. No, he was. In the end, he played mm -hmm. the World Cup, obviously, won the World Cup. That's yeah. why he's my hero. And then 1970, he made the great save, yeah. um, which that's a really good story. Mm -hmm. If you want to ask me, when I was at Man United and we went back to open the stadium when we bought Chicharito, mm -hmm. Guadalajara. You want to come on to that at any stage? Oh, no, we'll tell go us to it now. We're there. Let's we'll do it. Well, obviously, he was my hero, which mm -hmm. if you went in my study now, there's a, the picture, the great picture of Pele and obviously Banks making the save. And you'll remember, I think it was 2012, we toured, we'd been into America, and then we'd bought Chicharito. Mm -hmm. And part of the, um, the deal was that we helped open the new stadium as part of the deal. So we'd been in America, we'd done, I think, Cranky mate, we'd done West Coast, East Coast, and we were heading back to pay, play in the Bayern tournament, Bayern Munich. So we, we had to stop off, and we, we were going to rest Edwin. So anyway, night before we get there, and they went, "You're training in the old stadium," and I've gone, "Guadalajara, Banks, Pele." So we get arrive at the stadium. It's, it is, it's rickety. Buzzing, it's you? absolutely rickety on the outside. Mm -hmm. So we get in, and I just said, happened to sit at the groundsman. Got something to translate. Said, which end? Banks, Pele. Yeah. So I've got Ben Amos, Kuzak, and Edwin. We jog down the end, and I'm now in my own world. Maisie does this call. <laughs> I'm in my own world. So I now get to the goal, and I'm now standing the goal, and I'm like a kid in the mm -hmm. toy shop. And I said to Ben Amos, Ben, just humour me. Do me a favour. I want you to bounce the ball in there. He says, yeah, what are you going to do? I says, don't worry about that. You just bounce the ball in there. <laughs> Did you have someone recording this? No. Oh, oh just for you. Oh, yeah. So Ben, Edwin is looking at me, the super pro he was. Edwin's wanting to get on with the warm-up. So Ben bounces the ball in and I've given it that, knocked it up. And I'm like, I've got up and I've jumped and I've turned around. And on the halfway line, the gaffer's got... All the team stopped. <laughs> and next to uh, Sir Alex is shouting, what are you doing, you stupid Jordi? <laughs> <laughs> but I was in heaven. I'd made the save. I'm on the turf. If I could have picked some of the turf up and brought it home. So I always remember, God Lahara, massive. So he was. He would have been playing then. I can't believe you didn't get video footage of that. Oh, well, well, well you amazing. see, we didn't have MUTV travel with us. Do all of that then. There you go. She might give me a call. I was here. I was at the club then, Eric. Helen, you ought to have I would have been there. You'd have heartbeat. focused on the outfield. Goalkeepers aren't that important. <laughs> We're just there to stick them the in union, the net. Goalkeepers union, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that story. I was made up. That's so good. To this day, I've seen Ben Amos when he was at Wigan. I went in to do um, the goalkeeper coach there, Darrell Flahaven. He had to have his air license assessment. I went in to do his air license assessment. And Ben came in the canteen. They were busy working from like portacams and such. And he come in, he always call me, Man of Steel, how are you? And I go, I'm fine. I still remember that day. And he went through it again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm proud again. I'm going, Ben, how can you remember that? You're only 18, 19. She says, no, I'll never forget that, Steely. Because I wonder what you're asking me to do. Yeah. You never know, in 20 years, he might go back there and want to reenact it with someone he's with. It's been leveled now. I think it's, it's say, gone yeah. now, it's leveled. <laughs> anyway, Chicharito will always be very fond in my heart because mm -hmm. yeah. without him, I would never go back to that, that stadium. Where did the Man of Steel nickname come from? That was Ben Amos, I don't know why. He used to call me Man of Steel. Yeah, and that's part of the great joy that you finish playing. And if you do go into coaching, what can you do then? Your enjoyment then is your performance of your goalkeeper. And then when you can't do that, my biggest thrill then was when I went into the coaching side with the FA, working on the B licences, the A licences. So to see the coaches that I've worked with that have come through, and we're working in the game now, Mixdale, TC, I'd put through his B licence. There's a fair few still working now, Mixdale at Leicester, who obviously Johnny would know. 
Um, there's loads of them now. And in the end, like Maisie said, they all thank me because I made them do it while you're still playing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, that's my reward when I see some of the coaches now. You know, I've just had yesterday playoff time. Baccarini is the coach at Sunderland. Text him, delighted for him. Mm -hmm. It's his first full-time job. He'd been at Leeds working alongside a coach. He's gone to Sunderland. It's his first job as the sole goalkeeping coach. So what a year. So I've been doing that. I've been texting all sorts. People that have done well. Plymouth gone up, coach there, put through his air license. So that's been my reward. That's why last year was my 50 years in football. Wow. When I'd, I'd literally been 50 years total involvement, luckiest man in the world, be involved in so sport. So you talk about all these goalkeepers that you've coached. You have a great career goalkeeping. And then you come out of the game and you buy a pub. I know. Yeah. How's that? Because when I was when I was studying, when I was studying, it's I did business all, management. All those people too. No, I know. But what happened was, I still... I still but that's what people used to do. Yeah. That's what the players used to do. There's, there's, there's players around here you will know. John O'Hare, Kevin Hector. Yeah, absolute yeah. legends in Derby. What do they do? Buy but they pub, went in yeah. the brewery, were very clever. They got the big players, the names, and they said, yeah, we'll give you a pub. And all they did was manage it. Mm. What they didn't realise was they were working five days... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the five days was paying the rent. The only two, the two days left was what put the money in their pocket. Mm. So all I'd done was when I, when, I, when I played, I still continued my education. So I did business management. I did a degree in business management, specialised in hotels. And I had an uncle who was a master of wines, which Sir Alex really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah I bet he did. So you can imagine all the, all the staff loved it. Steely, yeah. Steely, Steely, Steely will go with a gaffer tonight. He'll talk about wines, you watch. They loved it. <laughs> Albert... Albert, yeah. the equipment, she says, Steely, go on, go and occupy him for 20 minutes. We've had enough of them on the coach coming down or whatever. And I was, so my uncle was a master of wines. So I'm the only Geordie you'll meet that doesn't drink tea, doesn't drink beer. Imagine a Geordie not drinking beer. Because I was 17 years of age, I was in London, working in a wine bar, doing my A-levels. So when I did the business management, I just said, right, strength in my bowl, coaching, yeah, maybe I'll have a go. So I did. I bought a pub off... Famous, famous guy, Dave Mackay, who was a legend at Derby. Yeah. His assistant manager was Des Anderson. And I bought the pub off him, Hollybush. Can I ask what a master of wine is? Sorry, I really don't know. Master is. of wine is the highest accolade you can have. Right. Where you know everything about wines. Okay. And we, at the time, when my uncle was, um, bless him alive, my uncle Would Jack. Would that be a sommelier? Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, you knew everything. You would have, you could blind taste. You could, um, grape varieties, you know all about it. And there was only 200 at the time. And he taught me on wines. So I remember training down in London and he was he was working near the stock exchange. He had a wonderful place called Bullsworth. He's, he's got the better choice in wine than you, El Gaffer. Oh, me. I can't drink that red, he does. <laughs> so he used to call me the Geordie Peasant and then he would buy me a beautiful, like a, he'd buy me a Chablis. And I'd go, I'll tell you what, you can call me Peasant all you like. <laughs> and he'd be on the Tiganello, the, the good yeah. Italian... And the lads would, but go bear in mind on a Friday night, we've got to get up the next day and perform. So you'd be, you know, you'd be careful in terms of what you would do. So I'd say, no, I can't drink that red stuff. You, you don't like that? I said, no, nah. it's too strong for me. Then I'd get Sancerre or Chablis and I'd go, yeah. may we, Monge too. <laughs> so I was thinking, so he, he did. On, so when he started, when he started talking about the, um, the fact that he'd studied wines, he had his own warehouse, bonded warehouse. He used to buy wines, didn't he, for investment? Mm. And I did just got it in the end. That was something again where I arrived at um, I knew. I'd been with Sven, who loved his wines. And then, of course, get there with a the gaffer, 
who definitely loved his wines. Mm. So it was just in, in the end, I did. I bought a pub. But within six months, I was coaching. I went to Wolves. That was my first coaching job, 1988. And I went, Graham Turner was the manager. And I went to Wolves part. There was no full-time then. I went to... Um, Great, great, great play. I'm going to tell the story about him soon as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you give details to players <laughs> before the game. Johnny Evans has just walked into the room. Unbelievable. Johnny yeah. Evans was the only man that used to run over just before the game started. Steely, Steely, who am I marking? You remember it, Johnny? Every game. Every game. <laughs> We'd go through it all on the wall, on the board and everything. Then this handsome guy used to run over to me just before the game's kicking off. Steely, who am I marking? And I'd have me board there. You all have pad iPads now. We just have it on um, specific files. Could you not remember? I, just, I never knew from the start. Maybe already didn't tell me. No, <laughs> it got to the point where we knew what was happening, and you just yeah. gave me like the fingers up. That was it. Yeah, yeah, you marked me. And then they never scored against you anyway, Johnny. No problem. Yeah, so that was it. So I, I literally bought Brilliant. a pub, bought a pub, ten staff, put me business management head on, and boy, oh boy, did that teach you something about the real world? Oh boy, oh boy, did I find out what the real world? I'd yeah. been cushioned. I'd been literally pampered being in football all that time. What was and the pub called? The Hollybush Inn. It was 400 still years old. About. Still there. Yeah. In Breeding on the Hill. Still is this, there. Is it still yours? No. No, I sold it after six years, which was brilliant. I enjoyed, fantastic. But by then, I was then full-time goalkeeping coach. Can I ask what may seem like a, a stupid question? I might be the only person in the room who doesn't know this. What does a goalkeeping coach actually do? <laughs> That is a stupid question. Well, it feels like a stupid question. But I mean, like on a on a day to day, because like I think as as an observer of the game, as opposed to someone who's in it, mm -hmm. you, you you see what players do. You, you see clips of training and stuff. But you only see like we spoke to Ben Foster and he told us that Edwin would just come and bounce a few balls, then take his gloves off, and that was him done. Mm. So is that was it... more Ben than Edwin, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely Ben, not Edwin. Obviously, you're trying to get the players to the next level and to get the very best from them, is that the conditioning and before, like, how, how do you go about it? Huge, huge. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a planning operation. Uh, you have to be a sponge and listen. That's the biggest thing I learned during my coaching career. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to listen. Ask questions. So if I was working with Maisie and he was mm -hmm. the centre-half in front of Edwin, I'd, I'd, I'd be saying to Maisie, where do you want to be on corners against? Johnny, where's your preference? Do you want a man mark or your zonal? So it's A, you're preparing your goalkeepers, to do to do the job, you know you need to know the philosophy of the team. Right, what's what was what's Alex want? What did he want in terms of his team? What he wanted to play. He wanted a goalkeeper that could, could play, like we're bound to have the discussion over David. Can play from the back. Oh, he can hit long. He can do transition. He can pick. Right, you've got to know the tactical side of the game to do that. You've got to know as well. You link in with the staff. What's your week looking like? So I used to say I used to go to Friday and work it backwards. Right, by Friday, what have I got? To, what have I done? I've got to make sure I've given Edwin some sort of scenario as to the team we're playing, Champions League on a Wednesday, then game on a Sunday. We then have to say, right, what's the gym programme? So I'd link in with Tony Strudwick or some of the sports science guys. You then look at your sessions in terms of speaking with Rennie, Mick Phelan. When do you want the goalkeepers involved? How many? You then, certainly in the year I was at, I was there. We used to do work with the back four. So, I, you know, I can remember one day Mick Phelan threw it at me after we just come out of the planning meeting because Sir Alex wasn't involved in that. It was Rennie and Mick, sports science, the doc, Steve McNally. And I remember Gary, uh, Gary Neville, he nudged me and said, big day for you, Steely, today. And I had no clue what he was talking about. And Mick went, Steely, this morning, I want you to do 2v2s, 3v3s, 1v1s. Yeah, he says, you'll have Ferdinand Vidic. I think Johnny was involved, Wes Brown. 
John O'Shea, Patrice Evra, poor players, weren't they, really? <laughs> what could I've taught them? Just scraping the barrel out. So I just remember Mick Phelan coming up and he, he walked out the room, he, he walked back in and he just says, an afternoon, yeah, by the way, Steely, make sure you do it right because you'll only get one chance. And I thought, wow. So in terms of planning, I had to be ready for that. What was the reason behind you doing that that day? Because we'd started a little bit of a different culture there because I did a lot more work with the back four. Mm-hmm. And then we'd do units where Mick Mick might be doing the midfield players. Rennie would look after the strikers. And it might be only be 20, 25 minutes. Then we'd work a specific on a Tuesday, build up to a Saturday game. And then Rennie would pull it all together with Mick on a Thursday where I would just stand back and they would run the whole thing. Then obviously set plays. As we're talking about with Johnny, set plays was important because I still know it's my biggest bugbear when I, I see nobody on posts. I mean, whether I'm old-fashioned, you can yeah. help me to call me that. The number of goals that are saved by having people on the line. So we were big on that, who went on the line. So I'd have to then go around, new players coming in. What do you want to be? Robin Van Persie, when it came in, I'd rang Pat Rice, who I played with at Watford. What's uh, Van Persie like in terms of set plays? Steely. Don't let a man mark, he's useless. He's absolutely useless. He will not man mark. But I'll tell you what, you put him in that near post space, that's where we put him. He says he'd be brilliant for you. So I went, Ben and I didn't want to mark. He was like six foot three. He was an athlete, wasn't he? Unbelievable, looked after himself, great spring. Sure enough, come in. Robin, what about where do you want to be? So again, you had to know the knowledge of the players. So you'd profile the players ready for, right, okay, who were playing Wednesday, who were playing Sunday. Because bear in mind when you're at Man United, if you're not prepared, mm. you go, no, because you, your games just come thick and fast. And bear in my first year, if you remember, it was um, World Club Championship in the December. Carlin Cup won that. Semi-final of the FA Cup, won the league. So it was quite here. It was a 60-game season. So if you're not ready, you're not prepared, then ultimately you ask the player. I used to say to, I used to say to Edwin, and Ben Foster in particular as well, I used to say Monday, Tuesday was about what I think you need. Thursday, Friday, two days before a game is what you need. So I don't say, well, still, I might need as much on a Thursday. I certainly don't want to do a great deal on a Friday. Yeah. So it's just listening to players. And then obviously you have to have your interactions with your staff. And that's the way it flowed. You know, these lads just turn up and it's, they, they can, they can, good players can, they'll work with any coach. But if you're not planned, these will rip you apart if you haven't got it right, especially at Man United, if you haven't got your session right, they can, I mean, Scolzi, Gary Neville would, dear me. And in the end, I got it that morning, went amazingly well, and might repeat that for two months, three months. It depended very much on the state of how the team was playing, who we were playing against. Edwin would turn around to me and prompt me, we're playing against Milan. Have you got any clips on Perlo? He hits from distance, doesn't he? Yeah, okay, yeah. So make sure you just went and saw Simon Wells. They do it all themselves now yeah. with computers. They do it all now on sports code, everything else. I was lucky. I had people like Simon Wells, Stephen Brown, I could rely on. Get me the get me three-minute clips of Perlow. I'd just send them on an email. Edwin, that night, thank you. That was the professionalism, Edwin. Peter Schmeichel didn't want to know. If I went near him with any detail, Steely, get lost. I don't want to know. I play my game, boom. That's mm. my best Danish accent, by the way. <laughs> Basically, what you were saying, I think, Sam, what do you do? What does a goalkeeper coach do? But what you're saying is you ha- it's not just about the goalkeeper. To be a goalkeeper coach, you have to know about every single person on that team. You've got to know the game. Mm-hmm. you got to know the game. Were you know. worried in any way coming into United? No. Well, because I was lucky in terms of my career took me whereby 
when I left, I was Derby here for four years with Jim Smith, Steve McLaren. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Villa, where I worked with Peter Schmeichel for a year. Well, that, that'll prepare you. One year with Peter was like five years with another goalkeeper. He was coming at the end that of his city, career. was it? Pardon? Was that City? No, no he was at uh, Aston Villa then. Aston Villa, yeah. He won the treble. Yeah. Then he went to Sport in Lisbon. Then he came back. To and, Villa and then City yeah. on it, yeah. And uh, John Gregory brought him in. Um, had a great, great year. So I'd done that. Then obviously going to uh, Man City. Did you learn anything off him? Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Did I? Yeah. I mean, I was originally, um, John Gregory rang me. I played with Greg's at Brighton and mm -hmm. here at Derby. And he rang me and we were in pre-season with Jim Smith and Stevie Mack. And he said, Steely, so I want a new goalkeeping call. I want you to come in. And no disrespect, I said, to be fair, no, I'm not coming. John Greggs went, Steely, don't worry, give me a week. A week later, he rings me, he said, um, I brought Peter Schmeichel in. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. That was it. Why am I going to bypass the chance to go and work with a great yeah, man? Yeah. If I hadn't had that experience of working at Villa with uh, Schmeichel, yeah. I worked here with Big Poom Poom, the Estonian goalkeeper, Russell Holt. Then obviously when I went to Villa, we went and got another Danish guy, Tommy Sorensen, mm -hmm. who went on to play. Then obviously Kasper Schmeichel was then. Yeah, yeah. Then I went to City, and don't forget, I worked with Isaksen, who was the Swedish number one, Joe Hart and Kasper Schmeichel. So I had really across the board, by the time I got to United, 2008, yeah. I'd covered a fair few different experiences. So you got um, you got to United 2008. Let's talk about how that happened. You'd agreed to go to City. You get a phone call. I was at City. I'd mm -hmm. signed a two-year deal. And I got a phone call in the January. TC, Tony Colton, had spoke to me and said, I've got to pack in. And bear in mind, I'd coached at City before when TC was a goalkeeper. Andy Dibble, mm -hmm. Martin Margison. Yeah, yeah. They were unbelievable three they were. At the old main road, you know, not the facility I got now. Uh, which again was experience working with them three. So TC had always kept in touch and he just said, Steve, I've got to pack in. My knee's gone. Um, I've been asked by Sir Alex to find a, the next coach. Do you fancy the job? Yeah, of course I do. So time went by, a week, two weeks, then the phone rang and I thought it was somebody in Newcastle taking the mic. And it was, hello, is that Steely? I went, yeah, who's this? Come on. Which plonkers is from the northeast? No, no, it's Alex. And it was, it was the gaffer. And I'm, I've like blanked him and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Anyway, he says, are you being recommended? I'd like you to... Um... I thought you were going to keep the Scottish accent going there. No. no. I was enjoying it. It'll, come out, it'll come out again, don't I worry. There's a few was, more stories to come. I didn't even know that was Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> you should know, you should know a Geordie imitating a Scotsman because why did they build Hadrian's Wall? It wasn't to stop the Scots coming that way, it was to stop the English going that way, which I used to regularly speak to when I deliberately text Sir Alex on St George's Day. You can imagine the response I got yeah. on that. So anyway, the response was, I turned around and actually said to him, I said, and this is when you'll realise a five second on a phone call, five second gap. And he said, yeah, I'd like you to come. Would you like the job? And I went, I would love the job, but can I just say something? I really would. Can I wait till the summer? I've signed a contract. I see loyalty with Sven. He's put a lot of faith into the staff we've got. I said, so if I can, can I wait till the summer? Aye, you stupid Jory, I'll do it. No problem. Because <laughs> I thought I've lost the chance here, haven't I? I'm turning to Sir Alex down. Who was the bigger fool? In the end, I did it out of loyalty to Sven. Mm. 
and in the end, you went on to win the Champions League. I could have been there, Champions League. Richard Hartness did great, who's there now. He stepped in because TC was knees are gone. Mark Hughes came in, brought yeah. his own staff. So I, I was fine. Mark Hughes said, Steely, I know your work. He said, but I want to bring my own staff in. Eddie Neswicky, Mark Bowen and um, Hitch, Hitchy. Mm -hmm. I said, I haven't got an issue. I'm thinking, I'm smug as hell. I'm loving it. I know now I've got another job coming. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it gets to June the 30th. I've done the course at Lillishaw. TC's rang David Gill. Nothing come back. Rang the gaffer. Nothing come back. So I signed for Blackburn. Paul Ince, his first job in football. Took Archie Knox as yeah. his assistant manager. Brad Friedel was the goalkeeper. Then we're bringing Paul Robinson in. So I was involved in Paul Robinson coming in. Brad Friedel going to Villa. Went pre-season to Portugal. And anyway, when I'd signed, I'd signed at two o'clock on the Monday afternoon. Guess who rang me at four o'clock on the Monday afternoon? The Scotsman. So what happens there then? You have to speak to Incy and get me out. I became the most expensive goalkeeping coach. Then. Yeah. Did you it. get paid up a Blackburn? <laughs> no. no. Man United had to pay me. <laughs> had to pay to get me out. Happy days. David Gill, remember when, it's, when I came in, David Gill said, you better be good. You just cost me money. <laughs> I went, oh, don't worry. Yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. So I had three weeks with Paul Ince yeah. and then came in and that was the start of the roller coaster. How was your relationship with Sir Alex? You've talked about him quite a lot. Great man. People ask me now, what do you what do you miss? I miss the players, but you miss the camaraderie. We were very, very lucky. People forgot in 2008, it was a complete new staff because Carlos Quiris had left. Mick went up from first team to assistant manager. Mm -hmm. Rennie came from doing the reserves. So it was a complete new team. Um, but that was the skill of the gaffer, wasn't it? You know, when he when he decided it was either change the staff or change the players. So the staff changed. So, yeah, I'm in the five years. He's still, in terms of, I kept a book. I tell all coaches, keep a diary, whether you use the modern iPad or whatever, but keep a diary. And I kept a diary and I've still got it at home now, an A5. And it was just meetings, he would say something. There'd be a phrase he would say that you'd go, wow, that would resonate, that would stick. Or he'd, he'd have a deliberate way he wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know he'd spoke to players. And then he'd tell us afterwards. And it was just the, the way he handled himself. Um, so when does that come out, published? Yeah, why have no. you not brought that? <laughs> no. When's that coming out? No, that'll stay very secret to me. <laughs> so no, working with the man, it was everything you'd expect. When you've competed against him, then you go on the other side, boy, oh boy, you then knew what a competitor he was. But it's such a genuine man, you know, the most read man I've ever known. Reads a book a week, still. Yeah. You know, you want to know about American history, ring Alex. And he was, that, that for me, but he's also his knowledge of the game. Mm. But yeah, to work with him, be with that. So that's, you miss that. The players, the, the camaraderie, mm. Champions In League nights. And then there's a man in the room who played Champions League. I mean, they are special nights just to be in that stadium. Whether it doesn't matter where, where you were abroad, but to be in Old Trafford on Champions League night. Yeah. Brilliant. Did your encounter with Tony Franken make it into your notebook? How do you know about that? I've done my research. Good man. So Tony Franken, who is now... You want me to tell the story now? Yeah, I do. You? Yeah, yes. Johnny, you might remember this. So Tony Franken at the time was the national goalkeeping coach for Australia. I'd been out to Australia and worked during the summer. Did two weeks out there. So I'd met him, everything else. So he was over looking at the various Australian goalkeepers. So he rang me up and he said, any chance I could come in training and watch training? I said, I'll have to check the gaffer first. I said, uh, when are you coming in? He says, Friday. Okay, we're going to Everton. So I said, I went in, saw the gaffer on the Thursday. And I said, uh, 
got a guest coming in. Tony Frank is it all right? I said he, you, you'd be around, might have lunch. He's going to come straight in, out on the training ground, lunch and away. Yeah, no problem, Steve. I no problem. Okay. So next morning, we're doing. We've done the normal work. We've had the little bit of a game. We've done the crossing and finishing, which people couldn't believe we did. Friday morning, full blooded oh, Rooney yeah. and Van Persie going up against Johnny and yeah. Rio, and then I'd go into set plays, and all of a sudden, the gaffer stops the session. He goes, "Who's that? Who knows that guy over there?" So I've gone, oh, that's my guest gaffer. You get him out of here. Get him out. He says he could be scouting. He could be looking. He could be the enemy. And you were all, these days, like, he's laughing out. I always remember real, real burst out laughing. And he's like five yards behind me. So I had to go over to Tony Frank and Tony Frank said, I understand it, don't worry. So he scurried off. Literally, he scurried off the pitch. I took him in for lunch. You can imagine, gaffer's, nice to meet you, Tony. How you doing? He was absolutely the perfect gentleman again. But at that time, I'm stood there and I've got all the players around me. And I've gone, yeah, he's my, my guest. And he went up, so he said, playing Everton tomorrow. Could be looking at your set play, whatever. He went absolutely crackers oh, with me, no. absolutely crackers. And then I'd lunch, sat and had lunch with Tony. So I don't know how you got that story, Sam, but that is good research. I told him. Did you? Yeah. Good lad. Well done, <laughs> Maisie's known for his research. Is that right? Oh. Yeah. Well done, Maisie. Well, yeah. So that was only one hairdryer. Well, that's not too bad. No. No. The thing is, you saw a side of him as a player, but you probably didn't see the side that you would see working alongside him. I'm sure you've taken, you said you've obviously had a little book that you've wrote down over the years, but on a day-to-day -day basis when you're out on the coaching pitch, do you still think about those things and the inspiration? Just him as a human being the very fact he was there you know the fact he would he would he would scuffle down the side stairs you know we'd all come out the normal way he'd scuffle down at some stage scuffle. and he would because he used to say you know he used to discover as he got older he used to scuffle across and he'd um it's a good geordie word that scuffle i've tickled me you know he's gonna like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah and he, he would he'd just come out and then you, you would you'd some days you think gaffer has he been out yet yeah, of course he'd be now. We might watch it from a ago. distance. Yeah. yeah. But he'd, he'd, some days he'd actually stay up there for a while and watch. Mm. And bear in mind, you would know from the training ground, that was him where he could watch the 23s. He could watch the 18s. Mm. But then he could also see the main team on, on the first team side. You know, and he'd, he'd, we'd come in for a cool down on a Sunday morning. He'd go and watch the under nines. He'd go over for 20 minutes and watch the under yeah. nines. And as the coach come off, I always remember it, the coach would, how, how big would you feel? When he would come off and go, I like the way your boys play today. To an under nine coach, next week he might go to another. Yeah. Now that, that for me, is the mark of the man. He was in, in terms of respect throughout the club. A truly iconic piece of goalkeeping occurred in your time at Manchester United. Ben Foster was the man of the match in the League Cup final. We won it. And all anybody spoke about every day ever since was that he watched videos of people taking penalties on an iPod video before the shootout. Whereas nowadays, you can have a computer in the actual dugout. You couldn't do that then. That wasn't the law. That wasn't the rule. So we would have them on the iPad, which Ben would have studied. So you've seen all the different tricks of the trade now where Pickford does it on a water bottle. Yeah. Other people do it on, they do a sleeve. They put an extra sleeve on that. On the, so they've got it written on the sleeve. That goes onto one of the arms so they can check it. Them days, no. So all I did was I said, why can't we put... Transfer from that to an iPod, iPod's that size. So if we do get to the stage, what people didn't realize was 
we did it at full time. I didn't do it at the end of extra time. I'd always had a big belief that when you hit extra time, the chances are, where there's fatigue, whatever, the chances are there are penalties given more so in extra time than there are normal play. So I'd actually shown Ben would gone through Tottenham's penalty takers. And Jamie O'Hara, the one that he saved, mm -hmm. was the one we particularly looked at because he would have been the main penalty taker. So when we got to actually the end of the game and the end of extra time, Ben had already had in his mind, and all it had come from, I'd seen Jamie O'Hara play for England at Sheffield United two weeks earlier. He took a penalty. And I remember he put it the right-hand side. So we checked the research on it. That's all we did, transferred it there. And we, had, we, we got called cheats and everything, <laughs> doing the iPod. Yeah, people try to say you're cheating. That's not. And he had that in the corner and he's, with no. his gloves now. No, all he did was end, just a, end, a, end a full time. He just, I said, go on, have a quick look again. Yeah. These are the ones potential. And at the time, then all it was, quick reminder, he's not playing. And Ben had it in here. Ben, to be fair, took it all in. Yeah. And then the one, as you know, Jamie Hara made the save and he made the save. I was going to say, imagine that. You've got the little what? iPad in the corner, you forget the code, and you're like, <laughs> iPods know, back then didn't yeah, have codes. It was an iPod. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> all Sorry, right. no, I was just occurring no, to me as I said. I mean, these two. I know. know. Yeah. High-tech young pups, aren't they? High-tech. <laughs> huh? High-tech. I'll make a scuffle out of here. Don't worry. It's just <laughs> you've, you've had some unbelievable characters that you've, you, not so much you've coached as goalkeepers, but players you've you've watched as well. Who would you put up there as the best or mischievous or laziest? Worst trainers. I've got to be honest. Just quite a list. There wasn't many of them. I've got to be honest. No worst trainers. No. no. The clubs I've been at, no. Scores you was a pain. Yeah. Because he used to disrupt the sessions. I mean, he never warmed up. Nothing. He'd, he'd smuggle his way into the gym to get on the bike. And then I'd be going out early with the goalkeepers. We'd be out and there'd be Edwin, Ben, Thomas Kuzak. And all of a sudden, ball had just flashed past you. Scores would come out early. He's just smashing balls total disrupted the warm-up that I was trying to get going. And you should get Edwin annoyed as well, which you didn't see Edwin annoyed very often. But Scorsi was just unbelievable. I used to call him session wrecker. Yeah. Just smash him, but he'd be 50 yards away. Yeah. Be coming like... And then when Scorsi was trying to do playing out from the back, and Scorsi, let me get in, let me show you how to do it. He was brilliant. We'd set a little bit up. I'd got the uh, Paul McGuinness to send the youth team over. You had Edwin, we're just looking at something different for a team we're playing against. And Scorsi's walking off, he said, I can do that. So we made him put the gloves on. He said, nah, I'm not wearing them. And he went in, he was unbelievable, you can imagine. Because yeah. all you're doing is taking a midfield player and putting him in the goal. Yeah. He knew all about the angles, the distances, ball was moved, shifted, ping. He got every, he had every, every club in the bag, didn't he? Um, best pro, Ronaldo, yeah. I'd have to say. Best pro, first in, last out. Um, but there was all, I mean, they're all, not just because Johnny's in the room, they're all, they were all in early. Yeah. I always remember Steve McLaren, when he went, he left Derby, I was here with him, and he left and he went to United, the year he won the treble. Yeah. And after about a week, two weeks, I rang Steve and I said, how are you, how are you going? How are you finding it? He went, Steve, I can't believe you. He says, these people are millionaires. He says, that they just want to win. He says, there's an attitude. And I go back to it. Where did that come from? Yeah. It come from up the top yeah. and it filtered down. And it, it was the same when I got there. I couldn't believe it. I mean, where we used to, our offices, we used to see the lads arriving. Never, I can never remember a player being late. Mm. If they did, they smuggled them in without us knowing. Yeah. But you would, they would always be there well in time because they want to get in and do the pre-work. 
I, could, I couldn't believe in, when I went to United that you give them a day off, I would say the majority would come in. They'd come in and want to do something. You know, whether it was to recover in a pool yeah, or yeah. might do work in the gym. And that was the professionalism that was there. Now, that was because of the dressing room. Their dressing room, they ran it. Yeah. So the, the actual professionalism and the standard, it was there. And everybody knew that if you did step out, there's only one place you'll end up. Everyone I've ever spoke to have said when, whenever you talk about United playing, mm. the intensity of, of United training. Yeah. And when I left United and I actually went to Burnley, it was like a Sunday league team. Mm. And I'm thinking, how on earth can you run a club like this? Mm. But it's probably the mentality of them. Yeah, but also, also I, I learned very quickly from uh, Mick and Rennie that if we didn't test these players, they'd find yeah. you out. So you knew, you, you needed to push them. You needed to, the sessions had to be. So like Rennie would always talk about progression, make sure there's a progression within your sessions. Because if you didn't, they would, they'd very quickly. I mean, you think about the players. My first year when I went there was useless players really, weren't they? Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney, Johnny, Wes, John O'Shea, Vidic, Skulls, Carrick, yeah. Carrick, Giggs. Carrick, Skulls, Giggs, yeah. then we added Berbatov and everything. Mm -hmm. So you're stuck in the Well, what you need to do is you had not just good players, you had great players. Yeah. What you had to do was make sure, and that was the big thing that I learned again, going there, you had to make sure the intensity was right and that you, you did test them. Because mm. if you didn't, they'd soon let you know. And that was the thing about it. You had to be organized, disciplined, go back to your plan in your week. Players didn't know. Players now know when they go on the other side. You know, I keep saying, are you going to join the dark side? They'll soon know. Lee Grant, who was at Man United, yeah. who I brought to this place when he was 16, and he's just gone up with Ipswich. Yeah. I saw him three months into the job. Steely, you warned me. I didn't believe this. He said, I start at seven, I finish at seven. He said, I forgot to ring Helen. I said, well, that's the job. Because you're finishing one day, preparing mm -hmm. the next day, and that's the intensity. And that was the intensity at United. That's why you win things. Yeah. What was the atmosphere like when Edwin went on that remarkable run of games without conceding? That must have been really, really a high point in your career as a goalkeeping coach. Well, that's my reward. I mean, it was Edwin and the team that did it. It was, it was something that we looked upon. It was a team effort, really. But it wasn't surprising. You know, when you looked at the team that uh, you could... You could put Vidic and Ferdinand together. You could put Johnny alongside either one of them, play either side. You had Wes Brown there, John O'Shea. Unbelievable variety. You know, you could pick. In the end, yeah, it was a proud moment. Um, Chris Wood still contests it. He still, he still says he made a longer record in Scotland with Rangers, but just typical of the man. Edwin, you know, what a pro. What a man to have in and around. I mean, he was so off the field, so quiet, the gentleman, but he was a winner. I always remember you when he got injured, like he'd done his knee and he had to have an op and he was so close to coming back and we were playing Everton in the reserves at Lay Stadium and Edwin came to me and Ronnie says, I want to play in the reserve game. And he went, no, you don't want to play in that, we're playing Everton, it'll be, you know, they'll have their kids playing, it'll be a bit be a bit feisty. Edwin went, no. So I said, you want to play? And he said, yeah. So straight away I got... Remember, we had Joel Lewis, who was at Peterborough, goalkeeper, who's now up in Scotland, and he was with Darren Ferguson, Sir Alex's son, at Peterborough. And he'd come up for two days just to come and train and just see what it was like. And I remember I went and got, I went and got Ben Amos, Sam Johnson. I went and got about four of the goalkeepers from the academy that we were looking to. And I said, right, you're going to Lay Stadium tonight. You're gonna, and I want you to go behind the goal both halves. The information that you didn't, I didn't realise that Edwin gave 
on the day in front of 76,000 people, visual, yeah. visual and verbal. All of a sudden, we went to the reserve game. Some of the information he gave, he was the coach. I'm back to it. He was the coach on the field. Mm. Some of the information he was giving. You know, he'd be 10 yards outside his area. I said, why, why do you go so high? He says, well, at Old Trafford, they're not going to hear me. I can easily drop in. And it was an education. I took the young ones there. And I said, right, there's your notebooks. Come on, tell me. Tell me all the different shouts he makes on the night. And he came away, won the game, and he went back in the team on the Saturday. Mm. And ultimately, you know, the career he had, you know, to get him to get him to 40-41 was credit to him. But I always remember the, the thing that I'd learned working with Peter was I asked him, what do you need, Edwin? Now, that's where I've said to all the coaches, don't be scared, ask the players. And Edwin believed that he could improve his speed. It might only be in 1%, but at 38, when I came in, he wanted to improve speed. He wanted to keep himself mobile in and around. We can do that. Struds, get a program put together. It might only be two minutes, but that could be the 1% that makes Edwin. And when he looked at some of his work, yeah. as he got older, he was, he was still really mobile in and around. Credit to him, great pro, and obviously he's gone on to great things at Ajax as well now. I was just going to say that. I'm sure then the way you talk about him, you're not surprised as what he's gone on to do. No, because he again had options when he when he finished. He had no intention of being a goalkeeping coach. No intention of being a coach. He could have gone back. Adidas wanted him to be an ambassador. He can speak the languages. He could have gone to German, Dutch, T. he could have gone TV. But he'd already enrolled for the business studies that he did. Hence the reason why he went. That was him. He went. That was his path. And he'd always seen that. Um you know, he wasn't wasted to football. He still comes back and plays, doesn't he? And all the various charity events that you have at Old Trafford. Still looks the same, doesn't he? A bit more grey now, a bit like me now. <laughs> Not a bit grey, but he's still got that persona, yeah. that presence about him. The man that replaced him, quite a different character. How involved were you in scouting and acquiring David De Gea? Well, you need another podcast for this. I'll do it brief. <laughs> I, saw him, I saw him 17 times live, but I'd seen him previously playing for Spain, under-17s. I was working for England at the time. I went to the game, they played England, they beat England, and I just watched. And I had no need, I had Joe Hart, Kasper Schmeichel, I didn't need a goalkeeper. But I got in the game, and just something stood out, and he just, he was just so skinny, the shirt was too big for him. But I just remember, no pad again. He made, he did things in the first 20 minutes, I went, wow. Received a ball back, moved it out his feet, clipped it, I went, wow. So calm, didn't have to make a save for 65 minutes. And all of a sudden he's produced that big, long arm of his came out, just made a note. So when I got asked, um, right, what do you want now? I want a young Edward. I want somebody who can, Sir Alex, we need somebody to continue. Look at the way we play now. Yeah, I watched him 17 times live. My first two years, that's what it was about. Can we get the replacement from within, which would have been Thomas, Ben? Sam Johnson coming through, Tom Heaton was still there, or do we look need to look outside? So when we made a mind up, we sold Ben to Birmingham. They were all good keepers as well, weren't they? Yeah. They've all gone on to have great careers. That's what I mean, unbelievable when you think about it. And in the end, yeah, I made my decision and then managed to get the great man to come to a game. And that was it. I said to David Gill at the time, I think if you take this boy at 20 years of age, you've got potentially a goalkeeper that could play for this club for the next 10 years. Here he is, 12 years on. He's had his ups and downs like most players have, but you can't, you don't play 550 games for Man United and be a ball goalkeeper. So in the end, that was, the decision was made. Manager backed me, 
and uh, we went and got him. It was a tough couple of months at the beginning, though. Did you feel that pressure as well? No, not when you've got the back end of the great man. In the end, he was never criticised. I mean, Johnny might be able to tell me different. He never criticised in press, never criticised in the dressing room. Mm. And in the end, he'd always had faith in young players. Look at the young players that he'd overseen that had come through the club. What he hadn't done was sign a young goalkeeper, but he knew he needed time. We'd all agreed he needed time. You know, we had five, six members of staff. The deal had been done in the January. When he came in in 2000, the deal had been done. And then he came in, obviously, the summer. So we were ready. Tony Strudel was ready with the programme. We got the nutritionist. We made sure we got the language sorted for him. He had to learn to drive. That was the other thing. He couldn't drive when he came because his dad used to take him in. He was His dad was a goalkeeper, ex-goalkeeper. So what a great feedback he had, David, as a 17, 18-year-old playing first-team football on the way home. Imagine, Dad, what do you think? What was it like today? You know, the, that was the start of a new era. You know, Edwin had gone. We'd had, we'd brought Linda, Anders Lindegaard in six months earlier just to get him prepared because we knew we weren't going to play. So when, when we went through that initial period and he made the error at West Brom and he got battered, he got battered that day by the centre-forwards and everything else. He wasn't protected, but it taught him a big lesson. And in the end, that was part of part of my job. Back to planning. Tuesday's show. By the way, you're going to Stoke next week. Have you heard of a guy called Rory Delap? Who? Okay, okay. Who? See, this guy can throw a ball into the area. So I had to prepare him for that. Like we'd had to prepare yeah, Edwin, yeah. like we prepared Ben. Mm-hmm. So our goalkeepers, they didn't stay anywhere near the line. They come and stand level with the six-yard box. So Rio would say, brilliant. If you're going to come and stand there, that All sends right. a message yeah. straight away. So I had to show him that. So we used to spend time doing that. And as he got stronger, and as he got bigger, and he got more confident, and then he's, the save at Chelsea was the one that done it. When Juan Mata put it over the wall, and he's four steps, and that customary top-hand save, that was the beginning. And Mr. Alex saying, walking down the tunnel full-time, he says, Steely, we've got a goalkeeper. And we always looked upon that as the turning point, and that was him coming on. It was around 10 years ago, Sir Alex made the announcement. It was actually on my birthday. Really? Not a good day. Never no. forgotten that. Um, but you obviously were in the building that day. You remember it very clearly. What was your memory of it? Sad day for everybody, but respect to the man. He basically just, we got a text, me, Renny, Mick, 6.30. Went in the, in the training ground for 6.30. And obviously you don't get called in at 6.30. But what he'd done, typical of the man, it was he was going to inform us. Then the next group, Steve McNally and the medical team came up. And he assembled everybody in terms of everybody else in the building. And he did a major um, talking to people in the canteen. And he just basically, it was very brief. I always remember the day. My decision made my mind, my time's come. I'll actually, I'm going to retire. And, and all he said then, because we'd, we'd already won it then, we had Swansea and then West Brom. He just said, I want you to make sure, he just looked at the three of us, make sure the players... Make sure the players are prepared for the games. Typical to the end, professional. Um, and he said, "Right, that's it." It was gone in two minutes, and it wasn't until I actually walked out. And you'll know from the training ground where all them great players. Yeah. You all of a sudden come out and you looked and went, "Wow, this is the end of an unbelievable era." That's when it hit me when I just got outside the office. And we we're only in there two minutes, and then obviously we went to the Swansea. We won at home, went round the pitch, but then we knew. And then I remember coming in, five all, and he just actually said, he says, that's what this club does to me. My ticker, <laughs> typical, five all, end to end. 
unbelievable game. And when he walked to the, obviously to the, the crowd, all the players just, we were behind him. And I think he bowed down, didn't he, to the crowd. Mm. And you just knew it was the end and an unbelievable era. Um, sad day, but you respect it greatly as to why he's done it. And he's still around. He's a terrific ambassador for the club now. Uh, but yeah, it was a sad day, but it was, it was one that we knew was going to come at some stage. And you just hoped that it wasn't going to be on our watch. And it was. And then obviously we got told David Moyes was coming in. And we were gone which was even sadder. Because mm. in the end, I think if we'd stayed on just to help for one more year, it might have helped. But in the end, David made his decision and he brought his, his own staff in. But yeah, I was very proud to be part of it. Anybody who's worked there, you know, I had five years, it felt like 10. Because that was just, it. the seed just went on. Yeah. And it was all about football, about people, personalities. Um, yeah, great times. Was it emotional leaving and like saying goodbye to the players? Because obviously the players all stayed. But you as the coaches were the ones that had to leave. Yeah, it was emotional. Scalzi really brought it home to me because we had to play the, you had a golf day. Did you play in that as well, Johnny? The golf day. Mm. Yeah. And the, it was Staffy, the players. And I was captain the staff. And I always remember it. We'll come in. Maisie's laughing already. Scalzi walks over it and we've got the trophy. So I've got the trophy and I've got David Gill behind me, John Alexander, whatever. And Scalzi just walked up because the phones then were buzzing. They knew what had happened. David Moore was coming in. And Scalzi came over and said, Steely, shame you're not going to be able to defend the trophy. Chris Woods will be in your job next week. <laughs> I went, thanks, Scalzi. Scalzi. <laughs> Make me feel a million dollars. Brilliant. Typical Scalzi. And now back here at Derby. Yeah, I'm still now. I've got my own consultancy, so I've got a coach mentor program running. I've had that for three, four years. I finished, like I said, 50 years in football last year when I retired. So um, my wife sees a lot more of me. I'm not sure she's keen on that. But I just basically... I help coaches. So this mentor program, at the moment, the 16 worldwide, they come on a five-month course. Nice thing now, it was during the pandemic, done via Zoom calls. Since then, I've been able to be in America, mm -hmm. put an event on where I go and see 12 of them that have stayed with us. So every consultancy, 24 have stayed on. So it's a great way of keeping in touch. Mm -hmm. And I do a little bit of media here, local radio, which I enjoy, come to the games. Then um, I still go up. I've been up two, three times to Old Trafford this year, Theatre of Dreams. Last one was Everton in the FA Cup. Um, so yeah, just enjoy life. Still involved in football. If I want to work two days, I do. If I don't want to work, I don't. I go on the golf course, <laughs> walk my dogs. Steal it. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank I've you. I absolutely love that. Totally enjoyed it. Thank you very much for your Thank time. You. Thank you. Well, I learned a lot. You said you at the did. beginning of this, Helen, it was going to be an education and it was. What a wonderful man. Very knowledgeable. Really I could listen to him all day. Mm -hmm. Very good storyteller. Story. We didn't actually ask that many questions. We didn't. No, we didn't Especially no. at the beginning when we just said, so tell us about life. And yeah. he just, started, just went into his, his whole career. Five minutes that podcast could have lasted. Yeah, it was amazing. And here we are. Here we are. Two hours later, still chatting. The Guadalajara story was amazing. Oh, but unbelievable. Like, there, there isn't a photo of it. It devastates me. Unbelievable story. I absolutely love that. Unbelievable save as well, by. Garden banks. And it just shows you, you never lose your childhood heroes, mm -hmm. do you? They're always there with you, even when you're older. Yeah. Who's yours? Great question. I didn't really have one. Oh. Uh, well, probably you can't come up with a statement like that then and say, oh, I know. Really <laughs> well, I love the Spice Girls. Well, there you but go. Like, I never wanted to be a singer. <laughs> She's, lying. She's, She's lying. lying. She's lying. I actually love the Spice Girls. Who was your idol? Uh, oh, Kevin Moran, hmm. David Beckham. 
Okay. Nice. Moving which, on. Which spy skill would it be? <laughs> I don't know. It's just a crap oh, conversation. I don't know. Which, which one would it be? You'd be sporty, wouldn't you? No, I quite like Baby Spice. Because of blonde hair. No, I just like her. God, sad. The notebook, that wouldn't be amazing to have a little glance at that. Oh, I know. Mm. Do you, I mean, do you ever, have you ever done notes or anything? No. People will say it to me like, oh, I do bet you ever, that's something like, you do. Mm, no, I've never. Yeah, I know you have no. a really good memory, though. I forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anything. Yeah, that was an, I loved that part when he talked about that. Yeah, that was great. Just to him talking about Sir Alex and the coaching staff mm-hmm. in general was a real eye opener. Because you know about players, as uh, players always talk about the camaraderie and, and when teams break up or they leave a dressing room and how much they miss that that group of guys and the routines and stuff. But you don't think about it from the coach's side that they have that experience as well, just, yeah. I guess, like teachers and kids. Their own little family going on. Yeah. Great podcast. Well, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. If you would like to send us a message, you can. You can email us at unitedpodcast at mainunited.co.uk. Um, you can also leave reviews below on like Apple Podcasts and stuff. You can subscribe and do all of those things. Um, but they, basically, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. See you later, guys. Bye-bye.